You know, probably most of you here have heard, have used the phrase, being a good Samaritan, even apart from the scripture that we read this morning. It's such a popular phrase, and it's an idiom that people in our culture have used, even though they may not know where it comes from. They might not know the context. They might not believe in Jesus or the Bible. They might not even know what a parable is. But they know the phrase, being a good Samaritan. You know, it's interesting how many biblical idioms there are. And if you look in your bulletin, in the outline, the sermon outline, I've listed off 22 for you. Kathy, earlier when she saw the sermon outline, said, are you going to talk about all those scriptures and all those idioms? And I said, no. I said, what I'm going to do is just show people all these idioms. And actually, someone else quoted me another one, and someone else quoted me another one this morning. I just started thinking and started writing, and you've got 22 idioms here that we're familiar with, most of us. If you've read any, watched movies, I mean, sometimes in in common speech we'll use some of these idioms. Not as much today maybe it's 20, 30, 40 years ago, because people oftentimes won't use old phrases like this. They'll tend to come up with new phrases, like, it's not rocket science. That's not a phrase that was used 100 years ago. (laughs) But it's an idiom, okay? That's an example. And so the idioms that we see in Scripture that you may have read, you may have heard in various and sundry ways, I just listed off for you because... You might have heard some of these, and they're actually, some of them are fun. Pride cometh before the fall. That's right at the very beginning, Adam and Eve having a fall. And it was their pride, wanting to be like God. And we could go through each one of these and talk about context. I won't do that. It's very tempting. Scapegoat, nothing new under the sun, flying the ointment, the skin of my teeth, the apple of my eye, a drop in the bucket, a lamb led to the slaughter, a leopard can't change its spots. But you didn't know that came from the Bible. The handwriting is on the wall, feet of clay, salt of the earth, casting pearls before swine. I actually had someone say to me, really, that's in the Bible? It's interesting, because they've heard it, but they just couldn't make the connection. It's another, uh, it's an analogy that Jesus draws, the blind leading the blind, sign of the times, the 11th hour, fall by the wayside, eat, drink, and be merry, thorn in the flesh, move mountains, labor of love, and the most misquoted of all the idioms, The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. If God has blessed you with a lot of money, he just expects you to be a good steward with it. He does not begrudge blessing people with resources. You need to understand that. Never. And sometimes people look with contempt on people that have a lot. And Jesus never did that. He always challenged people's stewardship. But it was the love of money. Why would it be the love of money? Because love is the theme in today's scripture. But see, part of the problem is we don't fully grasp when Jesus talks about love, when scripture talks about love, when we in our culture and in society talk about love, we get so confused by what love is because of the standard norms of our culture when they refer to love. 
See, when Jesus is talking about love here in this context, and also the Good Samaritan, which we'll get to in a moment, it's making whatever it is we love the center of our focus, our priority. And think about it, if you love money, and money becomes the center of your focus, how you might deal with your family, how you might deal with friends or co-workers, because money becomes the center of your life. Things, success, importance. All the things connected with money, power. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he starts talking about love in this context with the Good Samaritan, because that's really what the Good Samaritan, the parable is all about, loving your neighbor. But that word love is the focus. If you go back to the beginning, the context... When this lawyer comes up to Jesus, as the scripture says, and don't get confused with lawyer here, okay? Because it's not a lawyer like we understand a lawyer. Because lawyers back then, the scribes, the people that were experts in the law, were concerned about biblical law and truth, not like some of the lawyers today. So we need to be clear here. This particular lawyer was looking for eternal life. He was looking for what God was trying to say. This is what life is about. And so Jesus says, how do you read the law? How do you read the scriptures? Because the law, that's another word for scripture back in Jesus' day. And he gets it right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. So we've got this context. Both of these words love. And it's supposed to be the center and focus of our lives. So much so that when you consider your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's the whole of your being. You're consumed. God is love. We're so to be filled with God that we understand this is what love looks like. So he gets it right. That is the answer. But when he asks, and who is my neighbor? See, it's interesting because the the scribes, the lawyers, were trying to help the Pharisees and the Sadducees come up with ways of interpreting the law. And you can tell this is a scribe of the Pharisee. How can you tell? Because he's looking for eternal life. Sadducees didn't believe in an afterlife. So this is a scribe of the Pharisees. And he's saying, I really, really want to understand because I really, really want to get it right. But who is my neighbor? Why does he ask that question? Because we always want to restrict love. We always want to define it in such a way that makes it convenient and easy for me. And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees would do. They would shape the law and come up with human interpretation and human laws so to confine it to what was easy and convenient and what I like to do. We do that. Don't you have your own personal rules? I do. If someone is driving in the passing lane. And going, not even the speed limit. I mean, you know, that's bad enough. 
I know, I get it. But the reality is we all have our laws and rules that we carry with us. And we do the same when it comes to love and what love looks like and how we're to live out love in our lives. Instead of saying, what does God say love is supposed to look like? See, because the Pharisees and the scribes of the Pharisees were trying to restrict so that I could be limited in who I love and how I love. In fact, not just restrict, but strangulate. And sometimes we do that. We have our rules with who we're going to love and how we're going to love and what that looks like instead of taking our cues from what God's love is like, the love that Jesus demonstrated in washing feet and reaching out to the dregs of society and the outcasts of society and doing actions of compassion and going to the cross for us while we were sinners, while we were even enemies. When we really, really understand God's kind of love, it changes us and it changes things. And it changes our attitude and our focus. And Jesus wanted to make the point, so he drew this parable. And when he drew the parable for them, he actually chose two of their religious heroes, if you will, the models for their life. A priest, and not just a priest, but a Levite, which is like the highest echelon. You know, the people that are really supposed to be good and really supposed to be good models. And not all clergy are good models, by the way. Just like back then. But they put them on a pedestal. And when they wanted to see what the law looked like, they would have a Pharisee or a Sadducee explain it to them. When they wanted to see it lived out, allegedly, they would look to the clergy, the priest and the Levite. So Jesus refers to the priest first because maybe they're not quite where the Levites are. But then he points to the Levite and it's like, oh my goodness. Because Jesus is trying to make the point in a very, very strong way that we will interpret love in such a way that we're going to restrict it. We're going to get our priorities messed up unless we look to the Lord, unless we're filled with his Holy Spirit. Think about the reasoning behind why this priest and this Levite might not stop. They might be on a preaching mission or going to serve at a synagogue somewhere. And if they went near this guy that was lying on the side of the road and he was dead, they would become ritually unclean. And that would be an extreme problem for them. They would be inconvenienced. Heaven forbid we should be inconvenienced. I mean, we're all so busy. And we're all so important. Or maybe it was a trap. Maybe it was a setup. And so he didn't want to get robbed or harmed or killed. So he thought it's not safe. Love is sometimes risky. When God calls us into something, it might be risky. 
We have a team going to Honduras, actually in Honduras right now, that are coming home today. And you know some of what has been reported about Honduras and Dominican Republic in the news, and we've had teams go to that. I had people saying, you really going to Tanzania? Isn't it dangerous over there right now? It's dangerous here. Love is always risky. Depends on the level of risk. That's what the lawyers were trying to minimize, any risk. Or if he was wounded, geez, now I'd feel obligated to do something about it, and that would be so inconvenient. It would cost me time, and it would cost me money. I might miss breakfast at Wimbledon this morning, which I did. It's about priorities. And then Jesus uses the wild card, the one that they would never, ever expect because they were enemies, a Samaritan. Or as the Jews would actually say, a Samaritan dog. A Samaritan showed them what love looks like. How could that possibly be? Jesus was trying to open their minds and open their hearts to how God operated. How Jesus operated. And he used, of all things, a Samaritan. And I'm sure that some people immediately shut him down at that moment. Because when people don't want to hear something, they do that. Or, for some people, their minds and hearts were changed. By the mere fact that he challenged them with something that was out of the box for them. Someone. A little side note here that's important. Jesus does not affirm that the Samaritan had a proper understanding of God or the right kind of faith. Because in John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well and he had a need, and he asked the woman to meet the need, and they got into a dialogue, he would say to her, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. So it's not that he was affirming the Samaritan's faith. See, if you really understand Scripture as a whole, Romans 1 talks about, quote, who God is and what his nature is like is evident to everyone, so everyone is without excuse. What Paul is saying to the Romans in chapter 1 is that the nature of God that is implanted in us because we are created in his image, that's evident from his creation. There's enough there for you to understand that his call on your life is to love him and love other people. And he will show you what love looks like. But we don't always want to hear it. We want to restrict. 
We want to confine. We want what's convenient and easy and comfortable for us when it comes to love. And that's why Jesus was challenging their restrictions. Which is why he would say, go and do likewise. Because they got it right after that. The scribe got it right. Who was the neighbor? The Samaritan. Go and be like that. Figure it out. I've given you enough evidence. In fact, he would say at one point, the Jews have been given the keys. You look to the scriptures and you're right. But when we use the scriptures and manipulate them, or we of ourselves come up with our own rules and laws, the human laws, or we take our cues for what love looks like from the culture, we will miss it. And I want to jump back to the Deuteronomy reading for a moment. Because if you were to back up three verses in the Deuteronomy reading, you don't have this in your bulletin. Verse 6 says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's a throwback to Deuteronomy 6. This is Deuteronomy 30. In other words, God gave them the commandments. This is Moses at the end of his life. Moses, at the end of his life, is trying to say to them, look, I want you to understand at this point, as I end my ministry with you, the law was given, Deuteronomy 5, the the Ten Commandments, to guide you into what love looks like. Then in Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he goes on to talk about the blessings that come from that, which is what our passage has. But there's an interesting phrase he uses here. He says, Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for for you, nor is it too far away. What's he saying? It's not rocket science. That's what he's saying. To use a modern idiom. If you really open your heart and your mind to the Lord, if you really open your eyes to Jesus Christ, washing feet and dying on a cross, operating out of compassion, trying to bring, by the way, truth to what love looks like. And the priorities of our lives, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then being so filled with that love that we love our neighbors as ourselves. How that will transform our lives. It will transform how we deal with our walk with the Lord. It will transform how we see people around us. Not with judgmental eyes. Not with exclusionary eyes. Not with eyes that are saying, okay, this is the kind of person that I like and therefore I love. But with the eyes of Jesus. You know, last weekend, some of you know this, some of you don't, Meredith and I were at our youngest son's wedding. 
It was great. We had a great time. All of my family, my three kids, their their spouses except for Morgan, she became a spouse. She wasn't there. But all my kids and my grandkids, we were all in the same house. It was great. It was wonderful. We had a great time. And then the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner and the wedding and the wedding reception. Everybody loved each other. It was incredible. Aaron and Morgan were so, quote, in love. Everything was fun. Even though Aaron may never look that good again. And Morgan might not. See, but they think they fully grasp what love is in a marriage at this point. Not quite. And that kind of setting, it's easy. We like Morgan's parents. In fact, we love them. They're the outlaws and we love them. And we had such a wonderful time. But see, occasions like that. See, that's what we want love to look like. Fun and easy and a celebration and a party and romance. That's what we want. And that's what we get from our culture. What's love in our culture? It's fun. And it's convenient. And it feels good. And it's often sexual in nature. That's part of love. God's way. But when we really begin to grasp the kind of love that he is talking about here, the kind of love that comes from our being filled with God and filled with his love through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, when we empty ourselves every day and we're filled with the Spirit, then we love the Lord. And he becomes our priority. And then out of that love, we're able to love other people beyond our own capability, beyond our rules and restrictions, beyond what feels good and is romantic and fun and easy and not always a party. That's why the cross. Coming to that understanding that we fall short. It's why the resurrection, because Jesus has the power to change us. It's why Pentecost, because we need to be filled. Because we run out. It's that kind of love. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for the gift of this parable. But not just the parable and the idiom, but the power of the message that Jesus brought us in his life, in his ministry, 
in his death and resurrection. But the kind of love you're looking for is the love that fills every part of our being. To love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we allow that love to overflow onto those around us, beginning with our families, continuing with our friends, that blossoms in community here and overflows onto the community around us. Lord, help us to be free from restrictions. Help us to be free from the legalism that would bind us from loving your way, from ourselves, from the culture, but that we look to you, guided by your commandment and filled by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.